This is Daniel Gallardo, and you're listening to the Tenkara Cast, a podcast about the simple Japanese method of fly fishing, Tenkara. In the Tenkara Cast, we'll be sharing information on techniques, history, philosophy, and Tenkara stories from anglers all over the world. This podcast is brought to you by Tenkara Yosei, introducing Tenkara outside of Japan since 2009. It's only possible we create content such as this podcast and videos because of your support. So we thank you so very much for purchasing Tenkara Yosei rods, lines, and flies. I hope you enjoy learning more about the simple method of fly fishing. So today I have the pleasure to sit down with Mark Cole, a good friend of mine,、uh, somebody who's got a lot of experience in fly fishing and tenkara, and some really unique experiences to share with us in regards to chasing、uh, native Colorado trout as well. And Mark will share a little bit with,、uh, with us his background and、uh, his stories and his knowledge about Colorado trout in particular. I'm really excited about this, so thanks for tuning in. Mark, welcome to the office here. Well, thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure and an honor to, to be here today. Yeah, I'm、uh, happy that you made the drive. You、uh, just drove.、Uh, how long did it take you to get here to Boulder? It took about three hours today because so, of the, the snowy conditions on the roads and the construction that's going on at Idaho Springs and elsewhere along the route. <laughs> yeah, so you just drove from Leadville, and we,、uh, I think for a couple of weeks, we forgot that、uh, winter is here because it's been warm. I'm, I'm imagining not as warm up there, but somewhat warm. It has been spring like conditions in Leadville the last, well, last three or four weeks. <laughs> We've had highs in the mid 40s、mm-hmm. uh, through yesterday,、yep. and today it'll only get up to about 36, I think.、So. Yeah, it's amazing. I was actually fishing、uh, South Boulder Creek here yesterday in a t shirt. Yesterday. Oh, I, 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 looking at the weather forecast, I, at the weather report on the news,、yeah. I can believe that. And what about you? Have you、uh, been fishing in a t shirt in Leadville recently? No. I, usually, my fishing in Leadville ends sometime in November、mm-hmm. because, typical year, everything will be frozen over where I normally fish. And this year, you could reach open water if you don't mind walking out on the ice shelves,、uh, which is a little dangerous.、Mm-hmm. I've been on ice shelves fishing in the past when they have broken off. And the interesting part was the number of fish that escaped out into the main stream. As that ice shelf sunk into the water.、Yeah. They're totally okay, just hanging below the ice shelf,、mm-hmm. but the moment it breaks through, then they,、yep. they run away. Their ceiling was coming down on them,、uh-huh. and they decided to get out of Dodge, and that's what they were doing. And since the topic of today's conversation is the Colorado native trout,、uh, what kind of fish are those that usually dart from below the ice where you fish? Well, the last time this happened to me, it was probably a mixture of.、Um, Colorado River cutthroats and some brook trout.、Mm-hmm. Uh, they were moving pretty fast and it was difficult to tell.、Yeah. But in that section of stream, I've caught both, both species. So, since you mentioned brook trout, I mean, let's talk a little bit, just give our listeners a little bit of a background on. You know, just kind of the general you know, trout that we're mostly familiar with. So, I think a lot of people are either catching rainbows or they're catching browns or brook trout. I think those are probably the three main fish. Th- those、that? are the main fish that most people fish for in, in Colorado. 
And um, in, where I live, uh, in Leadville, um, I, not far from the, gold, the most recent gold medal water in Colorado, the uh, Arkansas River, it's the longest gold medal stretch of stream that, that exists. Mm -hmm. um, that's a whole other topic for discussion, is the evolution of the Arkansas River from a essentially a um, dump for the mine tailings in Colorado or in California Gulch and how the EPA and other state and federal agencies have cleaned up that river to the point where the river now is the longest stretch of gold medal waters in the state of Colorado. Before the cleanup occurred, the trout that lived in the, that section of the Arkansas only survived for about three years. Then the cadmium and other heavy metals built up to where it was toxic to the fish. And so it was not a very good fishery. But once the waters have been cleaned up, we have gold medal status now, which is a remarkable turnaround from what that the stream used to be. And I'm, I'm not sure if uh, gold medal, I mean, I think it's probably, you know, it gives all of our listeners a good indication it's really good fishing water, but I'm not sure if it's a des designation that's throughout the country. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of what uh, means uh, gold medal? Um, I can't give you the technical means, but it's a certain number of fish over 14 inches mm -hmm. uh, per hectare or mile of, of river. And I don't remember exactly what those specifications are. So just to go back a little bit, you know, we started talking a little bit about the rainbows and browns and brooks. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the gold medal doesn't require like a native population. No, it does not. Yeah. And, and mostly the fish in the Arkansas are brown trout. Mm -hmm. There are some rainbows, particularly around the Salida area. But um, mostly you're fishing for browns. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the largest brown that I've seen come out of the, the northern part of the water uh, up near Leadville is about 24 inches mm -hmm. uh, during electroshocking surveys. Yes, and the reason I'm kind of starting to go that route, and uh, eventually I'm going to backtrack <laughs> and we're going to talk a little bit about your experience with Tenkara, you know, it's just because there's a lot of, there's some kind of confusion in terms of the terms uh, uh, native versus wild, and then what is native? You know, like a lot of times, like I've heard of people saying, oh, we can eat brook trout because they're not native, but then, hey, brown trout are not native here either. You know, so like, that's correct. If we can, <laughs> maybe we should spend just a minute talking about those differences, and you're probably a good person to explain. Well, the, the, the native trout, which is what we're going to talk about today, are, is limited to cutthroats. And there are several species, subspecies or lineages of uh, cutthroat trout that exist in Colorado. They were the original inhabitants of these waters. Once about, well, in 1870s, when mining began to take hold in Colorado, that was when the native trout first became in, in trouble. Because the mines, not only do they discharge um, toxic waste 
as we saw in the Animas River this summer. Yeah. Um, but they also require timber for mine supports, for fuel, and for other, other uses. And that led to the wholesale destruction of the forests in large par parts of Colorado. Mm -hmm. If you visit Leadville today, it's surrounded by lodgepole pine forests. Looks very natural. Mm -hmm. If you look at photographs from the 1890s, 1910s, these hills that are lushly vegetated today were barren. Mm -hmm. And so that induced sediment because there was nothing to hold back the, the snow runoff, the melt, snow melt runoff, or rainfall. The streams were flooded with sediment, which destroyed uh, habitat for the, for the native fish. And so that led to a rapid decline in native trout populations in Colorado. And that's one reason why we have so many brook trout, brown trout, and rainbow trout. These were, are actually um, exotic species that have been introduced as a replacement for the native trout that were wiped out through the mining, the logging that went to support the mining, uh, ranching, and we as, as us anglers have to take our uh, our <laughs> our blows as well because we overfished the waters. Mm -hmm. uh, back in the day, there were essentially no regulations, and people caught fish, nets, you know, hook and line, mm -hmm. dynamite. Whatever, well, not whatever only, worked. No regulation, <laughs> but the ethos, the you know, the just the the whole ethics of you know catch and release wasn't there back in the day. It's, well, uh, and, catch a fish and you keep it, right? And and that was when when the American West was being settled, when the mines were in full flower. Um, the the resources in this country were looked at as being infinite. Mm -hmm. There were no limits to the amount of fish. There were no limits to the number of trees you could cut down. Yeah. No limit to the amount of, of mine tailings that you could dump in the nearest creek. Yeah. And so um, the environment really took some major blows in those days. And we're still recovering from that. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, so essentially we have, you know, the cutthroat being kind of the, the trout of the Rockies in a way, you know, and uh, we'll talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the different types that, you know, we can find here in Colorado. But then we have, you know, rainbows primarily coming from the western coast mm -hmm. of the United States, and people are bringing those back here to kind of, because they're a little bit more prolific perhaps, they kind of tend to reproduce more They They rapidly. were, they're easier, the reason that the brown brooks and cutthroats were introduced is they were easier to raise in hatcheries mm. than the native fish population. Okay. There's a, a saying that real trout don't eat pellets. Mm -hmm. And I think that may have come from when the hatcheries started to raise fish for propagation. Mm -hmm. They had trouble raising the native species. In fact, when the original hatcheries started, what they did is they went out 
to where trout were reproducing naturally. They artificially spawned the trout, brought those eggs back to the hatchery, and hatched them in the hatchery. And then, when they were just fry, they were put in milk cans, put on trains, mm-hmm. wagons, and taken all over the place to be stocked. So those are the rainbows, and then the browns, of course, you know, were brought from originally from Europe, and mm-hmm. the same thing, I guess, they could reproduce a little faster and better, yes, e- more easily. And they and they sur- they were more survivable in the degraded water conditions that existed, mm-hmm. and so from a fish stocking standpoint, it made sense to stock these these foreign or exotic or invasive species mm-hmm. uh, because. The reason that people were stocking fish, the U.S. Fish Commission and later the Fish and Wildlife Service, was not for recreational purposes. It was to supply food for the miners and the settlers um, because they were relying on food or fish as food. And once the native population was was killed off, they started to... Stu- to uh, replace the natives with the imports yeah and i think it's important to talk because i know a lot of people will be very interested in the colorado you know natives but i think the common you know there's a common story throughout the you know all parts of the united states where you know different fish have been replaced by non-native mm-hmm. species for you know whatever practical reasons the the government kind of might have seen or different or even people too but you know there's a whole lot of backstories <laughs> to every area and we don't have to get into that and then just in, since true. we talked about the rainbows and the browns i was just you know touching upon the uh, the brook trout which are native to the east coast you know and those mm-hmm. are very prolific and also have been introduced here in Colorado. Right? And, and the, the native brook trout of the east have gone through similar trauma to our fish here because rainbows and brown trouts, particularly brown trouts, were introduced back east and they competed with the native uh, cutthroat, or not cutthroat, brook but brook trout, trout populations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's all over the place it's not just limited to to Colorado no you know and before we go further too why do you think you know like it's been interesting for me to think a little bit about this um, you know knowing a little bit of where the different trout come from but it always seems to me that uh, a lot of people that I fished with they tend to see the brook trout as the invasive species then they tend to think of rainbows and browns as being like our fish and it's such an interesting thing to me because you know none of them are native but there seems to be this um i don't know if uh prejudice against the brook trout why do you think that is i don't know that's a that's a very good question i think one reason that the brook there's a prejudice against the brook trout more so than rainbows or or brown trout is brook trout, in, at least in the environment here in Colorado, don't tend to grow as large as the brown trout or the rainbow trout do. Mm-hmm. If you're fishing and you're catching brook trout, they're usually six, eight inches. Mm-hmm. You know, if you catch a 12-inch brook trout, that's something to, to brag about because yeah. that doesn't happen very frequently. But to catch a 16 17, 18, 20 inch brook tr- or brown trout 
or rainbow trout is not that unusual mm -hmm. in the right environment anyway. That's a good point, yeah. So size prejudice. It's a size prejudice. I, I, it's <laughs> what, what I believe anyway. Yeah, that's, uh, no, I think that's a very valid point. Uh, but, you know, I do want to point out that uh, rainbows and browns are also not native if somebody is always thinking of those. Yeah, they're, but, they're all exotic. They're, let's they're, go back a little bit. Uh, you know, we haven't talked about usually, you know, I think most conversation start with a little bit of an introduction of the angler we went on for quite a few minutes already you know talking about this background of the fish which I think is important but you and I have known each other for several years now mm -hmm. and you are an early adopter of Tenkara why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how long you've been fly fishing and then um, when you took up Tenkara well I've, I've been fly fishing since um, my first daughter was was born uh, my wife Judy wanted to wanted me to replicate the enjoyment that she had fishing with her father when she was a little girl, and so she encouraged me to learn something about fishing, and um, so I I did I I bought a book or two, and then when we were living in Denver. There was a, an organization called, I believe it was the Free University, um, the Colorado University, something like that. But you paid a, paid a, a fee and, and took a, a class for, and there was a fly fishing class. And so I signed up for it. Big mistake. Uh, <laughs> it, it certainly altered my life. And so I became a, a fly fishing an aficionado and uh, have been fly fishing since the, the early 80s. Mm -hmm. um, before that, my only experience with, with fishing was with my father. And father and I and, and mom and my sister would go to a place called Potash Lake in Ontario, Canada every summer. Dad and mom had a long history with Potash Lake. And so when they determined my, my younger sister was old enough to travel, um, we started go journeying to, uh, to, to the lake. Dad built a, a pop-up camper from scratch, and we lived in that for a month on Potash Lake. And that ruined me from fishing because my father's idea of fishing was to fish for pickerel in a 12-foot aluminum rowboat with a three-horsepower Johnson motor trolling for pickerel on Potash Lake. Well, here you have a eight, 10-year-old AHAD kid sitting in, in a boat going nowhere with nothing happening for hours on end. <laughs> and so I was not a fan of, of fishing until Judy... Uh, mucked it up <laughs> and got me started on fly fishing. And talking about Judy, we have Judy here in the uh, the office today. Judy, say hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and you guys also have a great story. Uh, I forget now if it was the 2015 or 16 magazine, and the Tenkara magazine. You guys, um, we have a story that you wrote about fishing together. 
Yes. You know, oh, yes. Uh, that was uh, last year, right? 2015 issue. That was the fifth, yeah. Or, yeah. That was the most recent issue. Oh, it's 2016. 16. Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah I don't, I don't remember what the oh. dates are on yeah. the issues. <laughs> um, I should know better, but because uh, I did edit after all. <laughs> but that was kind of a cool story about you guys fishing together and using Tenkara as a tool Yes. Uh, to do that. So when did you, ca- when did you uh, take an interest in Tenkara? Because you guys covered that in the story a little bit. Yeah, well, well I, I, your website went live in April of 2009. Good memory. <laughs> um, well, I do remember that, but I had to go back and look to see when I bought my first Tenkara rod, mm. and that was May 4th, 2009. Oh, so you hadn't, been lo- you hadn't been live very long. Yeah. <laughs> I had been, I was looking at an ultralight backpacking site, and I don't remember which site it was, but there was a, a reference and a link to Tenkara. And so I clicked on the link, and the rest is history, <laughs> as, a, as they say. Uh, we bought a Yamame. It was the first rod. And I've got pictures of Judy and I down on, on the East Fork of the Arkansas River catching fish with that with that Tenkara rod. And I was, at that point, I was, was hooked for the same reasons most people get hooked on it, just the, the simplicity of it, particularly for, for Judy. Judy doesn't like to rig up tackle, didn't like messing with, with lines. <laughs> and so when Tenkara came along, it was a, it was a real nice alternative to Western angling because of the simplicity not only that but the effectiveness of it it I'm, i've caught just as many fish if not more on tenkara than i ever caught fishing western tackle at least in the streams that i like to fish which are high mountain streams one of the comments i often make is if, if i see another angler my day is ruined i'm uh, not quite that bad sure. but but <laughs> Uh, usually where we're fishing, you don't see anyone else, or very occasionally do you see anyone else. And, you know, and I, there's a reason, you know, I want to talk about this background of you guys fishing together, because we're talking today about native Colorado trout, but more specifically, you know, I think you mentioned, uh, you, know, pers- you know, you and Judy pursuing catching those native trout. Mm-hmm. So why don't we get into that topic and talk a little bit about what it is that you were interested in doing in terms of, you know, you're interested in native trout and going after them. I've been interested in native trout um, for quite quite some time. Back in the, the middle to late 80s, I was at a Trout Unlimited auction and bought a print of a greenback, quote unquote, um, <laughs> from South Apache Creek. And that kind of got me interested in, in native fish. And since then, I've been following the evolution of the, the, the history of the greenback trout. And in conjunction with that, the other species, subspecies, I should say, of native cutthroat trout. And so that's been going on for for quite some time. The other thing um, 
is I have worked on several uh, restoration programs. Um, back in 2004, I think it was, there, the, um, I was going to say DOW, it's Colorado Parks and Wildlife today, mm -hmm. um, they had finished reclamation on um, Lake Fork, which um, drains, drains into Turquoise Lake from Timberline Lake. And that whole drainage was reclaimed for um, greenback cutthroat trout, or so we thought at the time. And so the first fish that were stocked into Turquoise Lake, or excuse me, not Turquoise Lake, Timberline Lake, I carried up on my, on my back along with, with one of the, the um, summer hires for uh, CPW. And so I've, I've worked stocking fish in the, in the high country. I've, I've helped other projects uh, where we've worked on stream rehab work on a, on a couple of, of those projects. And so not only have I been interested, I've been active in, in reclaiming at the time we thought were greenbacks. Mm -hmm. Turns out they're not, but uh, that's, we'll get into that segment of the story here shortly i'm sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> so that was your first that was your first interest in uh, the native trout one and then your of course your uh continued interest as well but i think it will help people too if we you know now that we start talking about the colorado you know the native trout of colorado maybe we can give a little bit of a geographical kind of overview of the state and where the main kind of uh uh, lineages or that's that's a good good place to to start and we'll today we'll talk in terms of lineages or more common names rather than the scientific yeah. names mm -hmm. uh, because there's there's a the uh, nomenclature for the Colorado cutthroat trout is in some um, it, uh, well it's being revised mm -hmm. let's 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 say that so um, so the historical view of Colorado cutthroat trout was that Colorado river cutthroat trout occurred on the west slope of the continental divide. Greenback cutthroat trout occurred on the east slope of the continental divide, primarily in the Arkansas and South Platte rivers. Mm -hmm. Then in addition to, to that, we had, <clears throat> excuse me, we had Colorado, or excuse me, Rio Grande cutthroat trout that occupied the Rio Grande drainage. Then in addition to that, we had an extinct species, or what is believed to be ex an extinct species, called the yellowfin cutthroat trout that was living in um, Twin Lakes uh, in Lake County. And that was the only place that the yellowfin cutthroat trout was found was in Twin Lakes. So originally there were four species of trout in Colorado divided between the East Slope, the West Slope, and the Rio Grande drainage. Hmm. 
in the in the yellowfin and Twin Lakes, and that then, was like one small drainage. Yes, um, and the yellowfin was famous because it was a rather large fish with fine spots. The other uh, Colorado cutthroat trout all have fairly large black spots. Uh, and that's a new one to me. I hadn't heard of the yellowfin yet. That's uh, Well, I guess you, you make a note it was extinct a long it, time ago. It was, well, the yellowfin, <clears throat> excuse me, um, was extinct, um, was declared extinct in 1904. And the, the greenback was declared extinct in 1937. But we have have now learned that all of what I just told you mm-hmm. is wrong. <laughs> but that's the yeah, historic, or, or it's also sometimes referred to as the geographical distribution of the of fish. Okay. And, and these distinctions were all made on the basis of physical characteristics of the fish. Mm-hmm. Spotting patterns, mm-hmm. teeth, uh, the number of folds in the in the stomach, um, the scales along the lateral line, the number of scales along the lateral line. So it was all based on on physical approximation. Mm-hmm. And of course, nowadays we have uh, all kinds of you know genetic testing that people can do to differentiate between <coughs> well species and probably subspecies. Subspecies, as well. and and even it even goes. Deeper than deeper, deeper yeah. than that. Just variations of sub subspecies. Yes. <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, populations. 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 Yeah, that's a better term, I think. Because um, you know, in, I know, like I used to live in California, uh, and you know, there we do have, you know, they used to have the, I think they still have the heritage trout challenge. They do. And some people have gone out with tenkara rods mm-hmm. to catch those native trout. You know, trying to get a certain number of you know trout that they have there. Um, and you make you make a note that Wyoming has a Wyoming cut slam. Cut slam. But Colorado currently doesn't have any official programs. No, they they do not at this point. I've I've talked to people at CPW, and they are in the. They would like to initiate a similar program to uh, Wyoming and Colorado or uh, California's, but. Until the nomenclature of the trout is is finalized, and that means through the scientific literature, uh, it's premature to do that because they're afraid if they set it up on on the basis of existing knowledge, they would have to go back and revise it as things might change in the future. Makes sense. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about how things got got messed up here. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure we can get into that. But do you want to tell us a little bit about the your pers- you and Judy's personal challenge of pursuing some of these? Uh, yeah, um, we ha- we've had a great time chasing the four existing lineages of Colorado cutthroat trout. And these lineages are based on genetic information. It's far better than the information, the physical characteristics that were used uh, in, the, in the past. And the first lineage that we chased was the, the green lineage. And the green lineage is 
um, Colorado River cutthroat trout. And um, the first time we investigated it, we were coming back from Marble, Colorado to uh, Leadville, going over Hagerman Pass, which is, if you've ever been over it, it's a, a gnarly Jeep road. It's, and the first time we, we tried looking for the green lineage fish, we uh, took a wrong turn and ended up at a place called Hell's Gate. Very rugged country, kind of beautiful in its own right. But we didn't find any fish, and, and uh, so we gave up and, and went home. Um, the, the next summer, we tried again. Uh, after a little more research, we found out exactly where the fish were and how to get to them. And so as we, as we, we drove our camper, we have a Lance camper on a, on a Ford truck, and it gets us into some, some pretty tight spots. We got in, got in and found the, found the stream, parked the truck, and set up camp. And it, the, the, it was clouding over. The sky was... So we ran down to the, to the stream and, and grabbed the rod and caught a couple of fish, but didn't document them. Because just as soon as we, we caught three or four fish, it, the skies opened up. So what were the fish that you caught? The, this trout? would have been green lineage, Colorado River green lineage uh, cutthroat trout. So that would be essentially the, the quote-unquote greenback cutthroat. No, these are no? no, no, not greenback. Don't Sorry. confuse oh, okay, the green, green lineage, lineage yeah, okay. with the greenback cutthroat okay. trout, the trout that only exists today in Bear Creek, Creek uh-huh. uh, a couple of hatcheries, yeah. and Zimmerman Lake. Okay. That's the purple lineage. <laughs> okay, so let's let's do a little overview of the different color lineages. <laughs> okay, uh, before we get that, into that, that, I, uh, that sounds like I think like you mentioned, a, but I got a little confused. So, okay, sorry. <laughs> well before we, do, we before we do that, maybe we ought to see where these lineages came from. Talk okay. a little bit about about that. The the as I mentioned earlier, we were heavily involved in restoring the greenback cutthroat trout. And every time I say greenback, I'm doing quotes with my fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was a greenback recovery team that was established back in the '70s, I think, to work with reintroducing these native fish into back into their supposedly native waters in the South Platte River and the Arkansas River. And the, as luck would have it, um, the, the, the program was designed so that there were a total of well, let me, let me rephrase, start with a little more ground, back up a little bit more. The, the greenback, as I said, was declared extinct in, I think, 1937. In 1953, some relic populations were discovered. And then the uh, Endangered Species Act was passed. And the greenback was listed as being 
um, endangered. And what that means is that there can be no harvest, there can be no fishing for a fish with that designation. Later, a couple years later, once the recovery team had started stocking these greenbacks into their native waters in the Arkansas and the South Platte, it was downgraded, that listing was downgraded to threatened, which do, does allow harvest and, and fishing for. Uh, usually it's catch and release, but in some areas you could harvest the a greenback. And the plan, the greenback recovery plan, re called for 15 stable populations in the, Slat, in the South Platte River Basin and five stable uh, populations in the Arkansas. We weren't quite, we had, there were a total of 20, but there were only three in the Arkansas Basin. And so what was, was going on is we were trying to establish two more so that the fish would be eligible for delisting. Well, that work was progressing, and I was hauling fish on my back up to Timberline Lake and working on, on stream rehab projects. Jessica Metcalf and her co-authors published a paper that threw all of that work out the window. She did, a, did some genetic work that showed what we were stocking as greenback cutthroat trout were in fact Colorado River cutthroat trout. Mm -hmm. When I first learned of, of this, I was on an electroshocking crew um, just north of, of uh, Granite in uh, Chafee County. And several of the, the uh, people working on the crew had gotten wind of this paper and were discussing it. And the people that had been working on the Greenback Recovery Program were pretty crestfallen mm -hmm. because it showed that their, in some cases, a lot of their career had been spent stocking recovering the wrong fish. Mm -hmm. And that did not go over <laughs> well. There were, oh, yeah. there were a number of crestfallen people on that, that crew at the end of the day as, as this word spread amongst the, uh, the crew. Well, this is a new development, too. So my very first trip to Colorado, it must have been around 2009, 2010, mm -hmm. and I wanted to catch one of the greenback cutthroats. So I went to, you know, I was in Rocky Mountain National Park doing a clinic. I think you were part of that clinic on the very first trip. Yes, yes we were. And then I got some information on where to find the greenback cutthroat, quote unquote. And I was really excited, caught a couple, caught a you know, couple mm -hmm. of good photographs and about three, four years later we moved here and uh, you know, and that's when the debate was really picking up steam, right when I moved here about mm -hmm. what is the you know, what was the greenback cutthroat, you know, like do we really know and and as you mentioned, uh, you know, the now we know there's pretty much only one population that, you know, exists, you know, of that kind of, the, the actual greenback cutthroat. Yes. And, and I will mention really quickly, too, to the listeners of this episode, um, you know, like, because there's a, it's a complex, you know, theme. There's a lot of, 
you know, things about the scientific names and the populations. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be posting this information on our podcast page, you know, tenkatiusa.com forward slash podcast on the, uh, the one that, you know, in the episode that we talk about the Colorado native uh, trout. And uh, there's a nice chart uh, that uh, Mark put together with uh, the lineage colors, you know, <laughs> where the... The, the greenback cutthroats are actually part of the purple lineage. And, uh, you know, and then we can, he also has the, you know, the basin where the, the, the fish come from, as well as their scientific names and uh, a little bit more information. So, you know, don't, don't, you don't need to, if you're really interested in this, uh, it's hard to learn about all of it by listening, I think. Yes. Uh, you know, and, uh, unless you have a much better processor in your head than I have <laughs> so uh, we'll be posting that information later on but but let's go back and uh, maybe a little bit of a quick um, you know your so you talked about going after the green lineage going mm-hmm. at, you know a couple of different attempts yeah and the the second attempt uh, where we got sidetracked we were talking about um, got the camper parked and started raining after we caught a few fish but hadn't photographed anything that we'd caught so we hadn't actually documented anything. And started pouring rain, went to bed that night. It poured rain all night long. I woke up with my feet splashing in water. The new camper had a major leak over the bed, and water had been pouring onto the bedclothes all night long, and I was actually splashing when I got up in the morning. Awful. (laughs) And it continued to pour. Um, So we bailed. um, Well, there was no way to dry the bedclothing, and it wasn't, the forecast was for continued rain all day, and so we just packed up and got the camper back, took it down, got it re- repaired. And um, so last summer, third time's the charm, we went back, found our old campsite, grabbed the rods as soon as camp was set up, grabbed a camera, <laughs> went down, caught fish, <laughs> photographed fish. And we ended up spending three days on this on this stream. And... Um, once we had documented it, we poked around a little bit. Uh, we were in this drainage for three days. We saw two people and a dog the whole time we were there. And this is, is I'm, I should point out at this point, I'm not going to speak directly to any of the streams that Judy and I fished. And the reason for that is simply... These streams are very small, fish populations are low, and so I don't want everybody flocking to one stream. Mm-hmm. Daniel will, at the end of the, uh, on the podcast I'll page, tell you exactly where to he go. can tell you <laughs> where, where to get the information yeah. to tell you to go. Uh, there's a couple of, of sources that we'll reference, and that will allow you to go and pick your own stream Hopefully, not everybody will go to the same place. Yeah, if you're very interested in knowing exactly where to fish, visit tenkariasea.com. <laughs> I'll give you GPS coordinates and uh, what fly to use as well. Yeah, in, in, in the, uh, the uh, Metcalf article, uh, 
She gives stream locations, um, stream names, but not locations. Mm. In the Best Gen article, he gives uh, stream locations with uh, GPS. Oh, wow. So you, okay. can, you can find them much more readily. When I started this project, the only information was in uh, Metcalfs. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the fun, was trying to figure out what stream she was referring to do you know how many bear creeks there are in Colorado? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, so maybe I'll leave the uh, maybe I'll misspell the uh, the reference that has the exact GPS locations. <laughs> uh, there's a number of, of streams. But actually, that's kind of like an interesting you know thing that maybe we can talk about a little bit because uh, in California, you know, with the Heritage Trout Challenge, I mean, there's uh, 11 species of trout or not necessarily species but variations very well yeah uh, subspecies uh, subspecies of trout and uh you know at least there's one stream that i liked fishing that had the paiute cutthroat uh yeah paiute cutthroat yeah, you can't fish that stream but you can fish there you know, i mean that's uh, well so you could fish below the dam and you could catch hybrids right but you couldn't go you couldn't, or, can't go a above, waterfall actually not a dam yeah you can't go above stream. the barrier yeah so you can go above the natural barrier and catch them is there anything here in Colorado like that either prevents or discourages people from targeting a specific species? No. Okay. No, so if we don't. Know we where don't to go, have that limitation, yeah. with with one exception uh, that I'm aware of, and that's Bear Creek, mm. where the last surviving population okay. of genetically true greenback cutthroats were discovered. You're not allowed to fish there. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Good. Yeah. But you can fish mm -hmm. for genetically pure greenbacks in Zimmerman Lake. Mm. And as long as it's not during their spawning. Yeah, it's closed from January through the end of July, I believe. Okay, to, so people to have fish. to look at the regulations. You have to look make sure you look at the regs. And is there any kind of concern about, you know, sensitivity of that population of the uh, Zimmerman Lake? No, um because that population is an offshoot from hatchery populations. Got it. They okay. stocked um, Leadville National Fish Hatchery mm -hmm. is one of the uh, several hatcheries in the state that oh. is propagating greenbacks. Okay. And so that's where those fish came from. Mm -hmm. And so the, as, as long as the hatchery has stock, mm -hmm. uh, they, can, you know, they can replenish those. Okay. Um, while we're speaking of that, that's the only place that you can fish for them in the state. Although there's going to be several streams, um, Graham Gulch, not Graham Gulch, Herman Gulch, uh, just this side of the Eisenhower Tunnels will be stocked this summer. And okay, presumably cool. it will be open for, for fishing once it's stocked. And I should mention too, I mean, like, you know, we're talking about very... I mean, indistinguishable fish. I mean, like we're talking about genetically distinguishable, but, you know, like I caught my greenback cutthroat, quote-unquote, in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. Anybody looking at a photo of those fish will probably never be able to tell, or most people will probably not be able to tell, um, you know, yeah, the, the difference. There's, <laughs> there's, there's a broad overlap mm -hmm. in the physical character, characteristics of these fish. They're statistically... They are distinguishable. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, that's what the best gen study 
uh, looked at. Well, we can. So there are a few minor differences. There, uh, well, stati statistically, you can separate them, okay. and that's an important fa uh, important point because the Endangered Species Act doesn't go by genetics; it goes by by uh, physical properties, okay. basically. Okay. And so you have to, if you're going to protect a species you've got to be able to differentiate that from other species that are similar based on physical characteristics. And that's what Bestgen and his collaborators were able to show that statistically you can separate all of these, these the existing lineages of fish. So when you're saying statistically, you're talking about... Multivariate analysis. Right. Um, okay. There's, there's a, a couple of ways that... Theoretically, you could separate, but it all has to be done on a population basis. Okay. If you receive a, or catch a single fish, it is very difficult to distinguish that individual fish. Mm -hmm. But if you catch 25 fish and do the statistics on those 25, then that population can be distinguished from the other Populations. That, that's an important. That's a cool thing to learn about because you're talking about like counting the scales and the you know the rays on their you know their fins and you know I'm sure there's variation, but within a population it can get an average and that's probably somewhat mm -hmm. based off. Yeah, of. for the for the angler, mm -hmm. you can look at things like spot counts mm -hmm. on various parts of the body. Okay, and that that will dis differentiate certain fish from other fish. But it, again, it's a statistical thing. You can't just take a single fish, mm -hmm. generally, and distinguish it from another fish from a different population. Mm -hmm. You've got to have 25 or so fish mm -hmm. for that to work. Oh, that's interesting. That's so interesting. so it's, not, it's not like the, ang the average angler is going to go out there, catch a fish, mm -hmm. Oh, there's half a dozen spots here on, yeah. on this part of the body, and there's half a dozen spots here on that part of the body. That makes it an X, Y, Z. Yeah. That's not going to work. So I know it's, a, you know it's an ongoing work. There's still some discussion, but uh, what I presume to have been a greenback cutthroat, what is that one called nowadays? The, uh, the greenback? Yeah, but not the genetically pure greenback. You I mean, know, the one that you caught in, in Rocky, Rocky Mountain National Park. The, the, the fish that you caught in Rocky Mountain Park is green, most likely it was a green lineage Colorado River cutthroat. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. that's, that's most likely. They're, green they're, lineage, not to com be confused with greenback. Green back, and we'll have that chart on our website. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so okay, let's uh, go back to your story so, of pursuing so, the lineage. So that was that was the green lineage. So we we checked one off the off the box. The next lineage what we were going to pursue is the blue lineage, and that's a, a Yampa River drainage fish. It also extends into Utah and, and Wyoming. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we journeyed up to part of the, the country, part of Colorado we had never been in. We were only a few miles south of the Wyoming border on some of the uh, tributaries to the Yampa River. And our first spot we were going to stop was 
already occupied. There were people camped there already, so we continued on down these dirt roads and found a beautiful little stream, a, a spot to camp right next to the stream. And once we got camp set up, it was getting dark, but, but <laughs> grabbed a rod and saw, a, snuck up the stream, nice pool, saw this fish finning away, cast, spooked, gone. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that was it for the first day. Next morning we got up and, and uh, the fish was not back where he had been that evening. And we started fishing up the, up the stream and catching and photographing fish. And that was blue lineage. The next day we worked our way downstream where there were too many cows. And there were lots of, there were lots of, of cows. And, um, and then the, that evening came back and caught the one that eluded me the, the first evening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so that worked. Uh, that was the, the blue lineage. But, that's the Colorado River. And we drove, oh gosh, somewhere between 60 and 100 miles on on backcountry dirt roads to get to where these these fish were and in that in in that stream in particular um you have a pure population of that, that suppose uh, that based on the the genetics mm -hmm. that have been done mm -hmm. that was a pure blue lineage population mm -hmm. now this is where it gets confusing because the blue lineage fish colorado river cutthroat the green lineage fish Colorado River cutthroat. Mm -hmm. uh, the scientific name for the Colorado cutthroat probably belongs to the blue lineage fish that occurs in the Yampa, southern Colorado River drainage basin, and into Wyoming and into Utah. Um, the green fish, the green lineage fish, has not been described in the scientific literature and so it does not have a formal scientific name. But it might be, but it's probably distinguishable. Uh, it, it, it's genetically, at it, least. It is, and physically. And physically as well. Uh, based on spot counts, you can separate. So statistically. Statistically, yeah. you can separate the green lineage and the blue lineage fish. Okay. So what, what we're waiting for is for the scientists to get together mm -hmm. and describe the green lineage fish in the scientific literature mm -hmm. and assign it a scientific name. Um, it's conceivable that the name assigned to the blue lineage could end up with the green lineage and the blue lineage would need a new scientific name. But that all has to be worked, worked through and worked out. Okay. Um, so that's where some of the uncertainty is coming from. And, and also, just to clarify, like you're pursuing all these lineages, uh, you've been fly fishing for a long time. Are you doing that only with a tenkata rod? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we're using pure, purely tenkara rods. Uh, any, now, pr any practical reasons you're doing that? Like, well, these are, these, are these are small streams, mm -hmm. and tenkara is obviously the best way to fish small streams. And... Of course, I've fished some pretty good-sized streams with Tenkara, too. So, <laughs> But uh, as we said at the outset, I really like Tenkara for its uh, simplicity 
and its efficiency in, in catching so fish. So it's not necessarily that you want to be the first person to catch all this fish with a thing got a rod. No, <laughs> no. That, very practical. It, it, yeah. it may turn out that that's the case, but sure. that wasn't the driving factor in yeah. using tin car. Yeah. And I've used, you know, dry flies, Sakasa mm-hmm. kabaris, yeah. uh, and caught all of these fish with, with one exception on... Uh, on dries and Sakasa Kabaris, just so I could please Daniel and, and do it in the traditional fashion. <laughs> hey, no, I think it'd be cool. You're the first person to catch them all. <laughs> well, like I said I, that wasn't that wasn't the driving. Yeah, I just, no, I just wanted to yeah. just wanted to to catch the lineages. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So the next lineage that we chased is the purple lineage, the generic, supposedly the generic greenback cutthroat trout. Mm-hmm. And so that was up in the Cache-Laputer drainage, which is where Zimmerman Lake is. Mm-hmm. And we drove, again, packed up the camper and headed up there and, and found a, a place to park. And it's about a mile hike up to the lake. Um, and so we got there three o'clock in the afternoon and, mm-hmm. and hiked up and scouted from the dam all the way to the inlet stream, didn't see a fish, not one, which I thought was was very unusual. We were there in October, and the water was was murky, turbid. Mm-hmm. Uh, visibility was very restricted. So we broke out the Tenkara rod and started fishing our way back to the to the trailhead. And a few fish started rising in the in the middle of the, the lake and then eventually some closer to shore. And I was fishing a Sakasa Kabari and zip zero, nothing. <laughs> there was absolutely no interest in those fish in that fly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was getting getting on towards dark, so we hiked down the trail and, and made made you know, ate dinner and Got up the next morning and hiked back up the mile to the lake, and and this time started fishing at the at the dam, and because of the the turbidity, I wanted to be able to fish a little bit deeper than I could with a normal Sakasa Kabari, so I tied on a, a killer bug, and trailing off of that, I tied on a size 18 Frank Sawyer pheasant tail tied the way he he tied them with the copper wire and Judy tied on a uh, a dry fly I think and and so we started fishing and I was using the the standard countdown strip back Mm -hmm. um, because the the flies were weighted enough that they would would sink and so we started Various depths, various retrieves, long strips, slow strips, and worked very well with the with the Tenkara rod. It wasn't a wasn't a problem. Finally, I don't remember. You know, counted down, started stripping. Wham! Fish. Um, got it to my feet. <laughs> Did know where that goes. <laughs> it wasn't a long distance release. It was a short distance, short distance release. release. <laughs> Yes, the, the air turned blue, uh, yeah. but that fish was gone. Uh-huh. Um, so then I, I tried again, and 
about the same place, same countdown, uh, Cotton yelled at Judy, and she grabbed the net, and we landed that one. Oh, good. And, and so I have photo, photos of, of that one. <laughs> it was this big. Hey, size doesn't matter here. We're just after the lineages. Exactly, Dan. Size, size really should never matter. Uh, and then we caught, caught one more after that, and it was getting late, and so we backed down the trail and, and headed for home. Um, but that was that was the only one I didn't catch on a on a Sakasa Kabari. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I tried the evening before without success. Fair enough, you know, turbid water, you know. Give me well, and challenge. I I quizzed some of my friends who have fished Zimmerman Lake in the past because typically high mountain lake, you know, the water you can see, you know, many feet. Um, and they said when they fished it, that's the way it was. So I'm sure it was just fall turnover. Mm -hmm. um, you know, muddied the water. But. Sure. So that's one place that you can fish for those Similarly. fish. And then the next lineage, the orange lineage, which is the, the Rio Grande cutthroat, mm -hmm. we went down to the San Luis Valley, up some, some roads during hunting season, and found a, a place to camp. And there the stream was very interesting. The stream was about as wide as this table where we were fishing. And this table is probably, what, 18 inches? Mm -hmm. um, not only was it the stream very narrow, but it was crossed over with all the dead grasses that had died during the year. And then to top it off, the wind was blowing about 25, 30 miles an hour. <laughs> so this is where you make one cast and you're too far on one side of the stream. You make the next cast and you're on the other side of the stream. Well, usually the third time is the charm. You've corrected too far, you split the difference and you drop the fly right in the stream. Well, that's except the fly never hit the stream grass. because of all the grass. <laughs> yeah. So I'm on the stream, the fly is dangling, but no, no fish. Um, we saw a couple fish that evening, but I just simply could not get a fly to them. If you got the fly on the water, you found a little wider spot or where there was no grass. As soon as the fly hit the water or, or submerged, the wind just motorboated that fly down the stream. The wind was blowing down the stream. It just motorboated it. And so the fish were not going to respond well to that. Mm -hmm. So the next morning we, we got up and tried one more time on that narrow stream and was unsuccessful. So we broke camp, drove upstream. We found a beaver pond where there was clear water coming into the into the pond, and that's where we caught the the, Rio, the first Rio Grande. Was he was holding in that inlet stream mm -hmm. coming into the Beaver Pond, and and so now oh. you got all four of them. You got all four of them. That's awesome. <laughs> and then then later we got into to quite a, a few more. Oh, fish, that's great. Yeah. Oh, farther farther downstream. Farther but, down. There. But we were you had to to look. Uh, you had to find some decent water that was open to where you could actually get a fly on the water that wasn't blown off the water immediately 
and uh, so we had we had a good time doing That's, that. And the best part of all of this was it took us to parts of Colorado that we had never been before. I was just about so, to say so that. So you got I mean, to see a lot of yeah. new country, and a lot of it is just gorgeous, just beautiful. Yeah. And I, I want to go back. <laughs> right. I was just going to say that because, you know, like uh, for, I mean, to begin with, I think fly fishing in general is just an excuse to be outside and very often an excuse to go and visit, you know, different places. And, like, when you have a goal in mind, and I think that's one of the beautiful things and one of the reasons the Heritage Program is popular in California is because people want to have a reason to go somewhere. They don't want to just say, I'm going to drive 10 hours to fish because mm -hmm. I can fish an hour from home or something. You know, so that's probably one of the coolest things about having this, even if it's not an official program right now, having this personal challenge. And it's like, what are we going to do next weekend? Oh, let's go catch this one. Yeah. yeah. Let's go up to the Yampa drainage and, mm -hmm. and look for some fish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. We enjoyed the heck out of it. Are there like any other trout, uh, you know, particular trout that you're still looking for, you know, forward to catching here in Colorado? Not, not really. Um, we're thinking of moving up to Wyoming maybe next summer and do the Wyoming cut slam. Okay, yeah. Uh, Judy has a sister who lives in, in Santa Rosa. Mm -hmm. um, we're thinking maybe heading in, a, in that direction, mm -hmm. uh, pursuing this. It and, might be a little different because you're going to catch the cut slam. You can catch some real large cuts, you know, cuts up there instead of focusing the, on the yeah, smaller... Yeah, go after some of the Lahotan and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stand on your ladder out there with your Tinkara rod and... <laughs> are those in Wyoming as well? I know they have no, that in, Colorado, are, no. in California, yeah. and, uh, Pyramid Lake. I yeah, those are in Pyramid Lake. Yeah. But <laughs> oh, that's that's it. Sounds like a good challenge. Some you know, a new way to learn more about the country and the native fish it's, nearby. It's, it's a good incentive to get out and see see some of the world that you wouldn't see. Mm -hmm. You know, most people they head to the famous waters, the Frying Pan, the Roaring Fork, the Arkansas, the Colorado River. Mm -hmm. um, South Platte chasing large, large fish, but these are small fish in small streams. But you're going to see country that that most people don't get to see. And at the same time, too, like you know, it uh, will probably uh, run out of time here sometime soon. But I want to talk a little bit about just conservation because there's definitely, you know, like there must be like an aspect that uh, maybe people are not very familiar with. Uh, but like I know, for example, here in Colorado, we have the Greenback chapter of Trout Unlimited, which is a younger, you know, chapter focused a lot of times mm -hmm. on conservation. And one of the projects that they took on, you know, heads on a couple of years ago was the preservation of the Bear Creek, yes. um, you know, Greenbacks, the pure Greenback cutthroat. Um, you know, and that in that particular pro uh, program or initiative, they're trying to protect these native species that only exists natively and wildly in that one area. And there's a lot of erosion on the on the banks because there's some trails that mountain bikers were going on and yes. that kind of thing. So they had to do a lot of work to kind of mitigate that kind of problem. Are there some challenges that some of the other native trout that you have pursued uh, are facing either damming or pressure or something like that well they they all are are facing yeah they all are facing pressures mm -hmm. um the fish if you look at the the table uh which daniel's going to post most of these fish 
are occupying 11 to 13 percent of their original uh, habitat. So they've been pushed up into the headwaters where they can they can survive. Generally, they're above some type of barrier. Um, a lot of this comes from pressure from brown trout and and uh, brook trout because the the Colorado River cutthroat, well, excuse me, cutthroat trouts in general are spring spawners. Up in Leadville, it's I'd call them summer spawners. They're they're spawning spring in comes, July. Yeah, spring uh, comes a little later. A little bit later up yeah. there, and because the the fish, the the exotic, the um, the introduced species are are able to outcompete them because they are fall spawners. Mm -hmm. And part of that problem is the result of spawning in the fall, the eggs are hatching in the spring. So the the brook trout and the brown trout, the fry from those species, has occupied all of the good habitat. Mm -hmm. So when the rainbow fry hatch later in the in the summer spring or summer depending on what the water temperature is all of the niches are filled by the the invasive species and so they can't compete against that the other problem um you said rainbow did you mean cutthroat did i say yeah, so yeah. cutthroat. Cutthroat trout, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. So they don't have... Listen, listen to what I mean, <laughs> not what I say. <laughs> the brain is running far ahead of where the mouth is. <laughs> Good catch, Judy. Thanks for that. Thank you, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the cutthroats just can't compete mm -hmm. because all of the niches for the fry are taken up by the fall spawning fish. Mm -hmm. And by the time the, the cutthroats hatch... You have these little tiny fry competing with much larger fry. Yeah. And so it's, it's a, a detriment. The other problem that the, the uh, spring spawners have, and this applies to the rainbow as well as the, the cutthroat, is when you're spawning in the spring, that's in high water. And so the reds are likely to get either washed out or they get stranded. The fish will spawn in, in shallow waters during high water time, but as summer goes on, before the eggs hatch, the water drops, stranding those, those reds where they're not being, uh, they're there's no water. Yeah, and so um, they, mm. the, the, the uh, spring spawners are at a disadvantage that is relative a big disadvantage. The, I never even thought about it's the a fact huge that disadvantage. You know, maybe essentially spawning on the what becomes the banks of the rivers, mm -hmm. and then they cannot connect. Yeah, that. so they either get blown out during wow. the flood, or mm -hmm. they they get dried up. Wow! And so it's difficult for yeah. for fall spawners to too or spring they, spawners to survive. It's too bad they didn't adapt, you know, evolutionarily to, to <laughs> yeah. that cycle. Um, that's, yes. That's well, I, before. The, the exotics were here, mm -hmm. it worked fine for them mm -hmm. because they didn't... They, they had enough they, left, essentially. Yeah, there weren't, yeah. They weren't in competition. Mm -hmm. And now that 
the competition is here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that's an issue that most people don't don't think about. Yeah, no, that's good um, to know. In the state of you know, I know in Colorado there's still stocking programs. You know, we have to keep some mm-hmm. rivers stocked up for recreation purposes yes. primarily nowadays. Um, are there concerns, you know, in that regard, in terms of stocking drainages, and you know, talks about maybe not stocking as much? And that well, kind of thing? the the they're trying. They don't stock um, these exotics where natives are are where the pure natives where are. the pure natives yeah. are. Um, the the um, like I said, they're they're confined to the headwaters mm-hmm. for the most part. And that means this, these fish are going to be small, and so you can't stock over top of those because they would they would oh, have get decimated. Yeah. yeah, when when one of the greenback cutthroat restoration streams is Rock Creek, you and I fished Rock Creek along with with Tim Hill mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. Um, that was a greenback restoration project. Mm-hmm. Um, they came in, they, they reclaimed all of the, the drainage. They immediately, after reclamation, they were concerned about anglers' reaction to being no fish in the stream, and so they immediately stocked the, the greenbacks, quote, again, quote, okay, unquote. Not, yeah, because at the time they didn't know. At the time, this was back in the 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I first started uh, fishing Rock Creek, I would catch about um, one cutthroat to ten greenbacks. Mm. Wait. Or one, one cutthroat. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Those are all greenbacks. I'd, I'd catch one uh, cutthroat for every ten uh, brookies, brookies that I would that I would would catch. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first stocked, first fished that, the ratio was a little bit better. Since then, today, it's unusual to catch hardly any uh, cutthroats in that stream. Because the brook trout out. Because the brook trout were not entirely removed. Mm-hmm. Um, they existed on Swamp Creek, which is a, a tributary to mm-hmm. Rock Creek. And from there, they had taken over most of the entire drainage. There's still a few spots above some cascades mm-hmm. where the, the cutthroats are still the only fish in the drainage. But in the main stem, the cutthroats are, are pretty much gone, even though the hatchery is, uh, Leadville hatchery has is, is stocked some, some cuts in there. Oh, it's such a challenge because, you know, like uh, a lot of times, and it can be kind of controversial to bring us you know, stream back to having only native, you kind of have to completely decimate whatever's there to begin with. Yes. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a big operation mm-hmm. to reclaim a stream because you have to not only use the, the, um, the, the piscicide through the main stem, mm-hmm. but you've got to get every little tiny yeah. rivulet that's coming in mm-hmm. any place a trout can hide. Mm-hmm. When we reclaimed, um, well, I shouldn't say we because I didn't have anything to do with the actual reclamation of, of uh, Timberline and, and uh, Lake Fork, um, it took them three years because there was one set of beaver dams 
where they could not, they had trouble getting the brook trout out. Eventually they did, and to, so far it's, it's all cutthroats, wrong species, but, or subspecies, but it's still... Well, and they also <laughs> built that dam. Yes. They built a barrier dam. Mm-hmm. Purposely. Help keep the keep out. keep the browns and yeah. the rainbows and the brookies from reestablishing. From up from Turquoise Lake. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a it's a dam. It's yeah, you it's know, big. twelve feet high. Or oh, okay. So. Yeah, it's a big keep them big operation. Yeah. Well, this has been great to learn about all the you know the different trout that we find here in Colorado, and I think every state probably has something very similar to this and. Uh, and you know, also really fun to learn the story of you and Judy pursuing those fish together. You know, that's uh, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's and there's more streams to be visited in Colorado with these native species, and we just hit the tip of the iceberg. I bet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, there's a lot of water here, and if uh, if our listeners want to learn a little bit more about Mark and Judy fishing together. Take a look at our last issue of the Tenkara magazine, the 2016 magazine. And again, I'll put the references that we discussed in this episode on our website, tenkarayose.com forward slash podcast. And, um, you know, and we can also, you know, if you're in Colorado, you can see Mark in different places sometimes, different fly fishing shows and that kind of thing. Where can, where can people find you, Mark? What are you doing these days? In well, I'll be up some of... stream in the backcountry fishing for <laughs> for cutthroats. Are, are you taking a break from teaching the guide program? No, the, we, we will be teaching the, the guide program at Colorado Mountain College uh, beginning um, May... Yeah. You said how long after we get back? We get a week. Back. So May 14th? Yeah, I think it begins May 14th. I'm not 100% sure that that's the right sure. date. <laughs> but the Colorado um, Mountain College, you know, in Leadville has a guide program for people getting into uh, fly fishing guiding uh, it's the, training. It's, it's a six-week program where we teach you all about guiding, fly fishing. And while you're doing that, you are earning college credit. So um, if you have any interest in guiding want to know more about fly fishing outdoors uh, look us up where you can google cm colorado mountain college um, and that will lead you to us excellent well judy and mark uh, thank you both so much for driving all the way down to boulder having this conversation with me about uh, the native trout that now i'm uh, salivating to go catch because <laughs> i haven't i've not even touched the tip of the iceberg i think uh, so maybe that's something you might near future here is it because i'm also still learning the waters in colorado i've only been here for a few years now three years so it's a good chance for me to learn more about the state as well (laughs) well good good thank you if you need some guidance daniel (laughs) you know where to come (laughs) well thank you so much and to our listeners until next time on the tenkara cast thanks for tuning in and if you have a chance leave us a review in itunes uh you know if you can subscribe via itunes and other programs as well And if you can take a minute to leave us a review, we will be very grateful for that. Thank you so much.